If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. If you're buying food that is cheap, then you are eating exploitation, both to the farm workers and to Mother Earth. There is no way to produce healthy food for the price that most of it is being sold. What is settler colonialism and how does it manifest in our food system? How does the lack of work authorization for a large number of undocumented farm workers impact their ability to speak up against oppression for their labor rights and also for their firsthand observations on the true conditions of our farmlands that they work with every day? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons and Buns, a community where people meet every day to trade things like clothing, houseplants, furniture, and art. You can check it out first by downloading the app Buns, that's spelled B-U-N-Z, on your smartphone, and I'll tell you more later. For now, to our conversation with Rosalinda Guillen, a widely recognized farm worker and rural justice leader, and the executive director of Community to Community, which is a woman of color-led grassroots organization redefining power in order to end settler colonialism, capitalism, and patriarchy within our food system. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. My grandfather grew up in a very small village in Michoacan, basically ejido-type farming, which is community, communal land farming from traditional indigenous ways in Michoacan. My father was exposed to that early in his childhood. I'm talking like four or five years old. He never really went to school, either in Mexico, definitely not in the United States. He was self-taught and he was an artist. My father is a painter and spent his whole life, that's all, that was what he did when he wasn't working or, you know, dealing with a a large family. And he was quite a um, central figure in my life. 
But the fact that he worked all of his life in the fields of the United States to try to sustain and support our family, I'm the oldest of eight. He was the oldest of four, and I'm the oldest of eight. And all of my brothers and sisters and myself, we all worked in the fields in our early years, starting at about 10, 11 years old. I worked in the fields until I was in my, I was in my early 20s, like 20, 21 years old. And then worked in the fields part-time and part-time in the banking industry, which is kind of bizarre, I know, but that's that's what it is. So I think just knowing my father, the amazing person that he was, and also my mother, that both were farm workers, but they were all both amazing, self-taught people that accomplished a lot given the barriers that they had to live through in the United States. You know, knowing my parents and what they were like and the fact that we were farm workers, they also taught us to really appreciate who we were as farm workers, who we were as Mexican-Americans, who we were as people of the land, which is what my father always told my family and my brothers and sisters and I, that we were special people because we were people of the land. Mm. We were people that came from the land, from working the land, from being on the land, and that what we did was very graceful work, he called it, because we grew food that others ate. And without food, nobody can live. So he gave us a different perspective. And if you get a chance to look at my father's art, you can go to, there's a Facebook page that my brother, who's also an artist, set up. This was Guillen, which is, you know, J-E-S-U-S, Guillen. You can see that his art in relation to farm workers, because that's what he painted was us and farm workers and farm work, the people working in the land. It's very beautiful. It's bright. It's colorful. It's dignified. It's proud. And I think he tried to get us to imagine what it would be like if farm work was respected and recognized. And I think that that's what led me eventually to dig deeper into that because my experience growing up working in the fields and watching my father, his exhaustion, his long hours of work and coming home covered in dust and then going and uncovering his canvas and painting and drawing was different. And it was like, why? Why is it this way? And why is it that I can see myself as a proud Mexican woman working on the land doing something that's important but the rest of society doesn't do that. And I think that that was a very, I would like to say, rough and emotional political awakening to my own existence and my own family's history of being farm workers in the United States. At the core of your work today, here's an excerpt from your mission statement. We strive to reclaim our humanity by redefining power in order to end settler colonialism, capitalism, and patriarchy in their external and internalized forms, end quote. Could you help us understand what settler colonialism in this context of our food system looks like in practice? It's not very hard because to a certain extent, it's almost everything. It's everything that encompasses our food system comes from a settler colonialism construct, right? I mean, the way that the, our food system is controlled by corporations, how these huge corporations are led by mostly white males. And if there's any women 
they're not people of color and it's a privileged society. Our food system has been built to allow the privileged to have what they want, when they want it and how they want it. Everything from, you know, how the grocery stores are set up to where they're set up and who has access to what food. Settler colonialism in our food system is even what food you have access to. Most of the time, we don't have access to our cultural, traditional cultural foods. And one of the things we've learned from our elders, and I think we all can speak to this, that every culture has a food culture that helps to keep us keep us healthy. Like, what do you eat when you're sick? What do you eat when you're well? And where do you get that food? And a lot of those foods are tied to the land that our originated from the Native Americans have gone through incredible they have died for the salmon they have like gone through incredible sacrifice to protect the salmon in this area of the, of the country because their food comes from the sea and from the salmon the salmon is their sacred food that they need to, to keep healthy it's what their bodies almost require now for Mexicans it's corn and growing corn and it's got to be the corn that we have and I think settler colonialism when it comes to our food system seeks to even take the, our traditional foods away from us which makes us ill you know the the high levels of diabetes and obesity and other problems in our communities of color come from having to eat the white settler colonialism food which is processed which is you know, flour-based and the gravies and the mashed potatoes, which I have to say I love. It's one of my favorite foods. <laughs> but we that's not a Mexican food. We never knew anything about that, right? So how do you undo settler colonialism in the food system is by reestablishing our traditional foods. I think Native Americans in, in this area of the country, I guess, are working really hard to do that. In, in the Lummi Nation here several years ago, and I think it's been about 10 years ago, I don't remember the exact date, there was a burial ground that was discovered and it was a fairly large burial ground and the native peoples had enough funding and ability to take that burial ground and excavate it the way that they wanted to excavate it and resettle it in a way that was dignified for their people. But what they did with the remains was actually go through an intensive process of analyzing what was in the stomachs and in the bodies of the people that died so they could figure out what their traditional diet was. Mm. That is really sad. That to me is the ultimate victory of settler colonialism to take away your traditional foods, not just your ability to get them to eat so you can eat them, but your very, the very spirit of your history is wiped out, your memory of, you know, through lack of access and oppression, your memory of what your traditional foods are is gone. And even today, they're still recreating some of those traditional foods, you know, and looking for them, looking for them because they're, the native peoples here are hunter-gatherers. They're not farmers, but the farmers came in, took their land and farmed the land and then taught them how to eat the, the food that they, the white farmers farmed through starving them so they had no choice, right? 
the British did the same to the Irish in Ireland. And it's like that is settled colonialism in the food system that is just abhorrent. And that is what we're trying to do at Community to Community is understand at every level of organizing that we do, where is that settler colonialism component that has been thrust upon us that we need to undo and undo in a way that begins to reestablish tradition in a dignified and respectful manner. How do you see settler colonialism impacting the dominant ways that we look at our lands today and treat our ecosystems? Because like you mentioned, the Native Americans didn't even have this concept of farming. But how else did settler colonialism take that even further to really influence the dominant ways that we treat our farmlands? It's the extraction. We talk about extraction at community to community that has to do with the extraction of knowledge, the extraction of traditions, which some people call it cultural appropriation, but the extraction of the essence of Mother Earth, right? The oil and gas and water taken from the land, but then also forcing us to live in a way that where we are, we are actually become dependent on those things that are extracted from extracted from the earth. So, a lot of the, the spaces where Mother Earth would replenish herself and create ecosystems that were not just for humans but all other creatures. That knowledge of humans being able to interact with other creatures and understand the ecological need of the circle, ecological circle of of humans being part of Mother Earth and everything that's on her, Mm. including the plants and other creatures, especially, I think, is the biggest issue that I see how we treat other creatures. I mean, we've always eaten other creatures, but not to the level that we're doing it now. We've always had interactions with other creatures, but not in the almost psychopathic way of harming other creatures like you know, cats and dogs and birds and caging them. I think that that's another big harm that has been done to humans, our lack of connection to that circular life cycle. What we've been taught is if you're going to look at farmland, farmland looks a a specific way. Farmland, there's nothing on it. You have to get all the trees off of it. If there's a creek running through it, that creek's got to be tamed in a way that will feed the industrial farming that's going to go on, even small farms. Farmland has to be, is visually, we've taught that it has to look a certain way because if it doesn't, it has to be done in a certain way or it won't produce what needs to produce. And in order to do that, a lot of those of us that remember traditional ways are kept off the land. Animals are kept off the land unless they're animals that are going to produce profit. I think that the the profit-making component of farmland is the number one component that everybody looks at. How much that land is worth, how much that land is going to produce. Mm. And it takes everything off of it, right? It's like only what can help the profit of whatever that land can produce gets to go on the land, including humans, right? Like the workers. Workers can make that land more profitable than people go on the land produce, to help produce, to make more profit. Capitalism is just like settler colonialism is all about capitalism. 
who can make profit off of people, land, creatures. And, and that, that's where all the extraction comes from. And it's, it's painful to be able to look at Mother Earth and everything that she has and imagine what it's supposed to be like, but also witness what is being done to her. It's definitely really interesting to think about. Farming isn't going to go away, but it's, it's interesting to think about how the Native people's way of sustenance through hunting and gathering that still works within the realm of the natural, wild, holistic ecosystem and works within the realm of respecting the circle of life. But farming is taking humanity outside of that cycle. Yes, in a very deliberate way. And also in a very, what I think it's like, the word it's kind of like there's a siren call, right? For people to do it. And I think it's being marketed right now in, in many ways in the, in the movement, I think, sustainability movement is being marketed as a uh, almost glorified as a way of going back to another time and that's good to a certain extent but it's also very dangerous because it it, it, it almost like um, it's teaching other younger people how to go back into it and we're hoping that they do it differently but I think at the same time we need to also challenge the corporate agricultural power that exists because of the changes that they've made to the environment and to land, are so huge. It's going to take generations to replenish a lot of the land that they've damaged. Mm. That's why a lot of U.S.-based agricultural corporations are going to other parts of the world, buying up land and farming in other land in other parts of the world, because they've damaged the fertile land in the United States. It's at such a horrific level. Have you ever been to like Salinas and the Central Coast area there, Watsonville? The strawberry industry has used up Many areas, there's not thousands of miles, I believe, in that area where the strawberry industry has sucked up so much of the clean, fresh water aquifers that it's, they're actually now begun to draw in the seawater into the land. And there's all of these acres of land covered in salt. They can't farm it anymore. I mean, the whole land has just been destroyed by, you know, just taking out all of the fresh water. This has happened all over the United States. There's so much damaged land. I mean, how do you recover that? It's just horrible. A large focus of your work is to support farm workers' labor rights. I mean, according to the National Agricultural Workers Survey, approximately 48% of farm workers lack work authorization. But this number may be conservative, and other sources estimate that as much as 70% or more of the workforce is undocumented, which means that roughly 1.2 million to 1.75 million of farm workers are undocumented, making up the largest chunk of this group. This also means that our entire food production industry can't function and we may not have food on the table without our hardworking, undocumented workers. So I'd love to get your thoughts on how this lack of work authorization impacts our farm workers' labor rights and ability to have a voice and to speak up in the face of violence and oppression. Well, I think that that's one of the best examples of settler colonialism and capitalism is that a lot of the farm workers coming to the United States now that are migrating and working agriculture on the land, they're actually, a lot of them are peasant farmers from Mexico and South America. They're very skilled workers. Generally, when they come to the United States, are healthy because they've grown up in 
you know, farming their own land, eating healthy food for themselves, and they're coming, they're coming to the United States and are able to work hard. I think that what you're absolutely correct, that without hand labor, without the human hand working the land and growing the food that we need, we're not going to have, our food system will go through another total transformation of what food is if you don't have this kind of labor on the land. And, you know, the agricultural industry on a big level is looking to mechanize as much of the food production as they can. There's just no way to get a robot to pick a raspberry or a strawberry the way that a human can do it. But because of, of this need for labor, and because a lot of these U.S.-based corporations need this labor, the exploitation of the, of the farm worker in the United States has gotten worse, not better. I mean, I think of my father working as a 10-year-old, as an adult male in the 50s, right? The 20s and 30s. Uh, and then it's like, if you go to the fields now and you, you go to rural agricultural areas where there are a lot of farm workers and you talk to farm workers, they started working in the fields. They're like, they'll be in their 20, 25, 27. They started working at the age of 10, just like my father. Not much has changed. And in fact, it's getting worse. Hmm. It's getting worse because, because of climate change, because the industry has damaged the land so much, it is required to work harder. So in order to compensate or to figure out ways to grow food with the changing climate, with the hotter temperatures in the summer and the colder temperatures in the winter, and to protect the land and replenish Mother Earth, instead, they're pouring chemicals into it. They're using more pesticides, more fertilizers. They're forcing farm workers to work harder because it's it need to work harder to get more out of tired land. Hmm. And I think that's where we are right now. We're in a very dangerous period, not just for us as a society to have food that we can access that's health, really healthy for us. I mean, that's the whole reason they're developing GMOs, to try to figure out how to grow food in the desert. That's abnormal, right? Because you're not supposed to grow food in the desert. We're in a really critical time, and I think that that's what, as farm workers, Caesar said, we're the canaries in the mine. And we're saying now something is gone worse than what Caesar was saying in the 1980s about using chemicals, about using pesticides and overuse of pesticides, about overuse of fresh water, because they, the growers were not taking care of the land way back in the 80s. Now it's even worse. We're going to be visiting a community in Imperial County this month, actually, where there is no drinking water. You see this all over California, where there's entire towns without drinking water. So for farm workers, being undocumented and having no way, no other way to make a living except to work in agriculture in rural areas, the conditions in the fields of corporate farming are really dangerous right now. They're dangerous from overuse of chemicals. They're dangerous from the perspective that you see in our belief statement also of how capitalism is looking to produce more using less, which means Labor is a big cost, trying to lower labor costs, but also racial discrimination and racism that continues to exist in the United States because we're all brown people. The tendency of 
an industry that still sees labor and agriculture as a slave in a slave labor context, because that is how agriculture started in this country was with slave labor. And so it seems like there this this consciousness, this tendency to try to get have labor and agriculture as close to slavery as they can get it continues to this day. The way to pay farm workers overwhelmingly across the country is with this method called peace rate wage process, which means the harder you work and the more you harvest, the more you're going to get paid. And if you're poor in a rural area, you are going to work yourself as hard as you can to get paid more because the industry resists paying farm workers by the hour without the added incentive of production standards. So the average lifespan of a farm worker, documented or undocumented in the United States today, is 49. And I blame these production standards that have been set into a legal process all across the United States into this peace rate wage payment process for farm workers. Mm-hmm. We're being literally worked to death. There's all kinds of injuries that go along with this heightened production standards that has a farm worker at the age of 35, lower back injuries, injuries that are so severe that they can't work in anything anymore. That's a young age to be able to be disabled. And then if you're undocumented and you don't qualify for anything, it just perpetuates this poverty cycle in agriculture that gets worse and worse in every generation. It has not gotten better. Not since Caesar tried to establish the union and the only farm workers that have a collective bargaining agreement where they're negotiating wages, negotiating treatment, negotiating benefits. Is there any hope of farm workers having a longer lifespan? It's the most shameful thing in this country today because it's perpetuating that mentality in capitalist agriculture that really the only labor that they want on their industrial production land slavery. It's a fight that that we're waging. And when we make any kind of headway on this fight, the attacks from corporate agriculture just come at us really, really hard. You know, this is the dynamic that we're trying to change a community to community to try to get consumers and the community in general to see us as part of the community that deserves respect and dignity, which to us means better wages, better benefit, in the ability to be able to participate in living a life, you know, to have time to not work ourselves to death like like is happening right now. When we talk about our large corporate-run farms that do use these heavy loads of toxic chemicals in their production, the people that come into contact every day with these health hazards are also our farm workers, not the decision makers that are maybe sitting in corporate offices far away. And this also then means that the bulk of our farm workers who are at the forefront of taking care of our lands don't have a say in what they're doing or they can't relay along information on their observations of what's happening to our soils and agroecosystems as well. That's correct. And you know, when farm workers do that, there's retaliation that comes down on them so harshly. There's a culture of retaliation in the agricultural industry for any kind of complaint 
that farm workers have. And that's like every single level, there's retaliation. In our organization, you know, when we talk about farm worker rights, that is the, the one thing that we try to provide farm workers is an ability to be able to, in a dignified manner, be able to be listened to and complain about the indignities that you're suffering at work, including unsafe working conditions, including the chemicals that are being used, the hours that are being worked. Farm workers don't have the privilege or even knowing what they're what they're spraying or what they're working working in the the fields with the chemicals on the leaves of the plants they don't even know what it is and it the structure of power that the agricultural industry has is so strong that even the doctors and the clinics can't identify most of the time that it was a toxic chemical in the fields that is hurting the farm workers help. There is not even like a method, a recognized method on a, what do you call it, mainstream clinic in, in a rural area with knowledgeable doctors and nurses that can identify chemical poisoning from agriculture. There are some very specific chemicals that can be identified in a human body through blood testing, but they're very specific kinds of blood tests that are expensive and only for a few of the toxic pesticides that are being used. There's thousands and thousands of pesticides being used and even more being created, even as we, as we speak, there's more being created. So it is so, oh my gosh, it's, it's like the DNA of our food system, the chemical usage, the toxic chemical usage in the production of our food system. It's become like part of the DNA. So everything that everybody eats that doesn't say specifically organic has some kind of toxic chemical in it. And consumers and people are eating this stuff every single day, thinking the food that they're eating is safe. And we as farm workers are saying it is not. It is not safe. And eventually it's going to, it's affecting everybody. I believe you know, the higher rates of autism, you know, skin conditions, of allergies, of asthma, and so many other diseases that people are suffering these, these days, I think are coming from the food that they're eating. Because people don't know. It's tasteless. You can't see it. It's in, in everything. It's, it's kind of frightening. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to educate people on that by growing, trying to grow the production of organic food, trying to teach consumers and others about what they're eating. But I mean, honestly, it's, um, it can feel overwhelming. I want to mention at this point that the proportion of our income that we spend on food today is almost half of what it was in 1960. So the average share per capita income spent on food fell from 17.5% in 1960 to 9.6% in 2007. I think more recently it rose up a little bit to 9.9%. But what this means to me, and I'm sure there are a lot of factors and complexities, but in the big picture, what I see is that we had an overall rise in income that left our farm workers and responsible family farms behind. And I see this as problematic because farm workers and responsible family producers are our most important earth stewards. So personally, I think that we should be paying more for our food. But I'm curious to get your intake on this as well. If you're buying food that is cheap, then you are eating exploitation, both to the farm workers and to Mother Earth. There is no way to produce healthy food 
for the price that most of it is being sold. If it's conventional and it's cheap, then you're eating exploitation and you are, in essence, validating that Mother Earth and farm workers deserve to be giving of themselves so that you can have cheap food. There's no calculation you can make to produce food that cheaply. There are other parts of the world where people's household food budget, in some cases, is 50%. In the United States, I think that that is the end result of complete settler colonialism and capitalism is being able to produce and process food that is so cheap. And, you know, organizations or, or businesses like Walmart and others that are selling food ultra cheap, that's so super processed, that is the ultimate manifestation of exploitation. You know, farm workers are like not going to the doctor. They're not taking care of themselves. They're not able to, to provide what they need for their families to, so that they can produ help produce this cheap food working for these huge agricultural corporations that are making billions of dollars a year. And it's all going to the top. And I think that it's one of the, the hardest thing to teach people about paying what food is really worth. And if everybody complains, oh my gosh, I would eat organic only if it was just priced lower. I can't afford it. It's like, well, yes, you can. If you look at your budget and what you're spending it on, and what you value, if you value your health, if you, if you value protecting Mother Earth, if you value respecting other people's rights, then you should be paying more for your food. I believe it's half of what we spend our life doing is producing food and eating it. Mm. And so we need to recognize that we have to pay for that. So yeah, that is one way that people can really support farm workers is look for domestic fair trade labels, look for union labels, although there's very few union labels in agriculture. That's how big of a victory corporate agriculture and capitalism has won out. But domestic fair trade, the Agricultural Justice Project has a very, very good domestic fair trade standards. Unions like Familias Unidas por la Justicia here locally were promoting products where union workers are earning a decent wage. If you're looking at cooperative worker-owned co farming cooperatives, you know that workers are doing well because they're paying themselves, managing themselves, and there's no exploitation because they're working together. And that's another work that Community to Community does is we're developing working with farm workers to develop worker-owned farming co-ops to show an example of what real food production can be like, how farm workers can really take control of the food system and produce food that is healthy by doing it, by producing it themselves. Farm workers know inherently, if I'm going to produce a product, it will not have any chemicals because they have lived the, the results of a chemically induced product on the land in the United States. Mm. The baffling thing for me is I really do agree that we need to be paying more for our food. But how do we elevate our farm workers at the same time that we make healthy food more accessible to low-income communities? Because by valuing human labor and earth stewardship more, inevitably means that our healthy foods may become less affordable. So how do you think we can work with that? Well, I mean, I think that in every area of the United States, there there are some farm worker advocacy groups like Community to Community. I think it's listening to farm workers whenever there's anything that comes across your radar 
about farm workers and what's happening with farm workers. And a lot of that is related to immigration reform. I mean, when you look at raids, when you look at detentions, a lot of the folks that are being detained and sent to detention centers are farm workers. I think supporting organizations like ours that are doing the work on the ground, look for farm worker-led organizations, farm worker-led unions, ask the grocery store managers, do you, do you have domestic fair trade products? Do you have union products? Where is this food coming from? You can check us out. Check our website, foodjustice.org. Familias Unidas por la Justicia has their own web website. The U.S. Food Sovereignty Alliance is working really hard towards food sovereignty. The U.S. National Domestic Fair Trade Association has information on some uh, producers that are doing good work with, you know, protecting workers, especially farm workers. So, I mean, there are ways to educate yourself, but really take a second look at where you're buying your food. What's around you? What, you know, are there any farmers markets? Are there any farm stands? Stay away from the big chains like Walmarts and Winco and others. And if they do have organic, buy the organic, but ask where's this organic coming from? Because there are now, now we have these large organic industrial farms that are producing organic without chemicals, but they haven't addressed the labor part. They have not addressed the worker rights component. I think that that's where asking for domestic fair trade labels or, you know, social justice labels helps a little bit, but even some of those labels are being corrupted. They're being co-opted. The only label we really believe in is the agricultural justice project label, because we, we help develop those standards. We as farm workers in our organization hope to develop those standards of the gold standard, which a lot of farmers tend to avoid because it's, it's too much work to treat farm workers on an equitable level. Have you downloaded the Buns app yet that I've been telling you about? Besides the fact that we can meet like-minded people near us and trade things like clothing, art, furniture, or plants through the app, we can also earn its currency called bits. So if someone wants an item that you've posted but you don't want anything they have so you can't trade, you can also accept bits coins instead. There are also daily short surveys that you can take from within the app that will also allow you to earn bits. With this currency, you can then go on to purchase things that you want from other people or you can spend it at an increasing number of real-life local partnering businesses. So the more people we have on this free app, the more powerful we'll be in establishing communities of trade and also in getting more local businesses to accept our bids coins. To check it out and join the fun, just search for Buns in the App Store and hit download. And here's a pro tip. Share Buns with your friends through the app and for every friend that signs up, they'll earn 100 bits and you'll also earn 100 bits as well. See you there soon and for now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow? For a better world, ideas and action for a just economy. So it's the, it's the fair world project. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? We're in it for the long haul. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? Drinking lots of water. What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably? Eating only food from our worker, farm worker-owned cooperative, Tierra y Libertad. What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? Young people like you in this show, honestly. Where can we follow and support your work online? Justice.org and also Community to Community on Facebook. We're very active on that. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? 
eat organic. Don't forget about farm workers. And what you eat now will make a huge difference in how well you will live the rest of your life. Eat organic and let's keep our farmers in mind every time we eat. To me, the work of a farmer is truly one of, if not the most important in our world today, for both earth stewardship and also for supporting public health and welfare. In my mind, it's honestly one of the professions I respect the most because the real wealth and value in any society really come from the people who steward our lands. So let's honor and always be grateful to our farmers and their hard work. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you to our listener patrons for supporting Green Dreamer to continue. In case you haven't heard, I just started Green Dreamer on YouTube, so head on over to greendreamer.com slash YouTube to subscribe and feel welcome to let me know anytime, as always, what types of content or what types of video content you'd like to see. For me to be able to continue this podcast and expand our multimedia journal, I really, really could use your support because this is an independent platform. There's no corporate media funding behind me. So if you believe that more people should hear these conversations and you're able to, you can become a patron and access additional content starting at $1 per month. You can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. Alternatively, as always, you can share the episode you're listening to on social media or with friends, and you can also write a brief review in the podcast app on what you're enjoying. These are all things that can really support the show as well. Thank you for whatever you're able to contribute. Every bit really helps. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.